There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 21st, 2010. I always go through this little mantra at the beginning and advise newcomers to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. They can see the hundreds of talks I've given over the years, download them for free, and go through them at your leisure. Don't rush stuff. You don't really take it in if you rush stuff. But it's good to listen to the audios and... Uh, and rather than select them either, go through them one at a time because it gives you the picture of the history that we're going through. We've created history, we're creating history, or at least someone's creating history, and we're certainly going through it. And I put it together as best I can to show you the big forces that guide the future. And believe you me, the future ain't what it used to be. We're guided through everything, and uh, nothing is by chance. In any area of society, especially cultural changes, structure in society, all of that thing is guided to us. So go into the website, while you're there, bookmark all the other official sites I've got listed, because sometimes the com site goes down, or you'll find it slow to download too many people going in at once. So you can always get uh, downloads from these alternate sites. And remember also, if you want transcripts of the talks, which you can choose from uh, a whole bunch of languages from Europe, go into alanwattsentinel.eu, which is the European site. And it also has all the same audios for download too, but the transcripts are a great boon to people who like to read uh, rather than just listen. Uh, so you can print them up and pass them around to your friends as well. And remember, too, that you're the audience that brings me to you. I'm not advertising anything. I'm not bringing people on as guests under the guise of really giving information while they sell stuff. That's how it normally happens. The hosts uh, get paid by advertisers. The ads you hear on this show are paid by the advertisers themselves directly to RBN to broadcast this show. And it pays for their board ops and their equipment, their upgrades, bills, and all the other stuff that we're also used to. So you've got to keep me going, if you want me to keep going, that is, and uh, help me out. So go into the, the cuttingthroughthematrix.com, see the books and discs that I have for sale. I do write in a different style altogether. It's non-linear. I show you how to think round corners rather than just try to blast through the wall, as we're trained to do in straight lines. And that's how the elite think themselves, you see. That's how they con us in the art of chronology. They, they go round things. We always see what we think is the, the easy destination, and we're always fooled. We're always taken, we end up somewhere else. All tricks of managing uh, massive populations, very ancient, in fact. So you can buy these books and discs that have for sale. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a, a personal check. You can use an international postal money order from your post office. You can also use MoneyGram or Western Union. Cash is fine. Some people just send cash straight through. It does come through. And um, PayPal. If you want to purchase through PayPal, you'll see a donate button. Just send the, 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 the appropriate donation and a separate email with your name, address, 
and the order. And I'll get it right out to you. Same across the rest of the world. PayPal for donations or to purchase. Uh, Western Union Cash or MoneyGram. And for those, too, who get the disc burned and passed to them, lots of people get them passed to don't use computers. They play them on their CD players. You, if you, you, if you want to get in touch with me, it's Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, and the number 1. But I really do need your help to keep going. Back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix. You know, most folk are punch drunk today. They're punch drunk with information, and that is an effect of the information wars that we have. Um, I can remember before the internet was given, they talked about the possibility of people being unable to to reabsorb data and and, and figure out the data. This, everything, remember, is just data. Lots of it is trivia, uh, it's, and it's a constant stream of uh, trivia. Plus, we get the important things in between that, little bits and pieces, bits and bytes, as you call it, which is generally all that people really ever remember, if, if that at all. And we get overloaded with it. So getting overloaded itself is a technique to basically disable the person who's trying to figure out what's really going on. And every day I look through many, many different articles to decide whether to read them on the air or not to dissect them for you. And that's what I try to do. I try to take the ones that are worth dissecting and filling in the the little bits they don't mention in the articles because very little is actually written in such a way as to give you all the information on anything. Most articles are are written by organizations, uh, sometimes big foundations themselves, and mainstream media. And it's, it's meant to give you a spin or to put the good side of something without mentioning the negative consequences. So I'm very, very careful generally on what I read on the air. But I have noticed that people do get definitely uh, overwhelmed with data. And I try not to go into the, the, the crisis, crisis, crisis stuff that we get all the time because that's a, a technique of warfare on you. It's a warfare on your mind. It disables the mind. You cannot think clearly if you truly feel you're under attack from a hundred different sources every single day. You'll be at a nervous wreck in no time and you will be disabled. And when you, you, I've read, I think a year ago about the cyber warfare teams that were the, the Pentagon already had set up. They'd set them up years ago, in fact. And these teams went under various guises to infiltrate all kinds of groups and then lead all kinds of groups. Some even started groups up, and then you could join them, always thinking you were fighting against something which you believed in, only to be find out that Big DARPA or somewhere, some other company, was um, leading you on down the garden path. And they could disable your minds by making you a nervous, utterly nervous wreck. So don't fall into that trap. You know, you should be very, very discerning. I, as I say, I've read the articles from their own sites where, where they talked about the ability to disable, disable people who could be potential problems down the road. 
And believe you me, that is a technique that really does work. Uh, there, over the years, many people have become completely burned out, burned out, because they could not discern what to spend their, their time thinking about and what to let go, what to bypass. As I say, when a general was standing on a hill in the old-fashioned days, when they used to stand on hills and look down on the battlefields, he could not be distracted by the casualties over to the left or to the right or in a particular area. He had to see where the main threat came from and how to overcome it so that he could win. It was, After all, that's what it was all about. It was winning the battle. So therefore, when you're really concentrating on so many different areas, and jumping from here to, to there, uh, you cannot be forceful enough to get any one particular thing accomplished. So we are under warfare, constant warfare, and the Internet, believe you me, uh, wasn't given to us so that we could simply um, have the kind of country that a lot of people would want to have. We know that the biggest players on the Internet are the biggest foundations and the biggest NGOs funded by the foundations alongside the intelligence services. And the intelligence services go under many, many, many guises to entrap people, to pull them along, to, to get them into what seems to be the, the, the real agenda and then they swerve you way off into other, other subjects and other, other directions until you're mind-bombed. That's really mind-bombed and useless. Psychological warfare, basically, psyops operations. And I've tried to go over the history of this big agenda and never, look, never lose sight of it. You cannot lose sight of the history of the agenda because it's the only way you'll really make sense of what's happening today. It's a Fabian-style agenda, incremental, step, slow step by slow step by slow step, Intergenerational. Now, Carl Quigley, who worked for the big boys, for the Council on Foreign Relations, for the USA, advisor to State Department, uh, to the military, and to many different parts of the U.S. government, and to diplomats, to the diplomatic corps, he went through some of this too. And um, he certainly understood his history and the psychology of the masses and techniques that were used on the masses. And he was all for it. He was a man who wrote the book, Tragedy and Hope. And the, his other big book was called, um, it, it was uh, The Anglo-American Establishment, where he literally filled in the reasons for things happening from the, the, the late 1800s right up to the present time, basically, because it went into the future, a future that he wouldn't live to. He, he understood the agenda because he was a historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. He was all for it. He didn't agree with some of their methods here and there, but he was all for their agenda. He was an elitist himself. And that's why you have to go into the writings from Chatham House, which is the headquarters for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, a private, unelected organization that literally has members all through British government and all through the British Commonwealth systems of government and their bureaucracies. They advise all governments on what directions to take. They're heavily into the banking because when they were started up, they combined into the Royal Institute of International Affairs from the Rhodes Foundation and the Milner Group. The Milner Group was comprised solely of international bankers. And they set up what they thought was a world society. They wanted uh, 
a world parliament. That, that was what the League of Nations was set up to do. And they were the ones who pushed it. They were the ones who worked on the setting up of it. And they got Mandel House, one of their boys in the U.S., to get President Wilson to be the figurehead for the start-up of the United Nations. The American branch eventually became called the Council on Foreign Relations. It sounds better than royal. It wouldn't go down too well within the United States. But they, they had this, uh, all these big players working uh, with them, and they had different branches, special branches, and other foundations working on special areas, like the Fabian Society, to bring in what they saw was the socialist-type society with an elite group ruling them, a scientific elite. That's all through all of the writings. Specialists would have the right to rule the, the, the people underneath them, the masses, as they, com- they commonly referred to them, the unwashed masses. But there would be a structured society, and at the top of their list was depopulation of the masses for post-industrial uh, society. They wanted extensive birth control. They wanted uh, to legitimize um, abortion, mandatory abortion, very early on in Britain. Again, by this, this new kind of government they would bring in. But they knew it would take many, many years of incrementalism to get the public ready to accept all of this. Well, it's all here now. We accept it because we've been debauched generation by generation. You see, as Quigley said, the average person has a hard time when they come up with an idea and start a process. We want to see things accomplished in our one lifetime. Whereas a foundation can last for a hundred, two hundred years with one mandate. And then you get fifty of these foundations or a hundred of them working with their separate parts of the same mandate for a hundred, two hundred years. Hiring people full time, retiring people, recruiting, retraining, and they get things done. That's how it really does work. There is nothing happening today that was not written about by the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute for International Affairs right back about 1920 or so. There's nothing that's happening today. They talked about a unified monetary system that they would eventually bring in once they had the world under three trading blocks. Each trading block would have a kind of one parliament, a provincial-type parliament, not an ultimate one, because they'd all be subservient to a world government. That's what the United Nations is today, is the whole structure for world government. You don't realize that nearly everything that happens through your education system, through the different branches of UNESCO at the United Nations, runs your whole school systems. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Every country is signed on to it. And once you've signed on, you must obey it. That's how it's set up. It doesn't matter what the publics want. There's a variety of cultures all through the world, and it does not matter what they want. It's what the UNESCO is giving them. That's what they're going to get. And they know it's now time, because since, especially since the 50s, steamrolling through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, to do in various areas of sexuality especially, uh, they would get the public quite ready to accept anything that they push. And by the way, a part of it was to ultimately to have not just um, mandatory sterilization, uh, compulsory abortion of the unfit and all the rest of it, 
and um, the feeble or those who simply were not needed by society. For the new communitarian uh, societies they were going to create about this time that we're going through now. They also wanted to step up the death rate so that the people down below would not live too long either. And we see both things happening now as all the, the, the cry is back in again. It's not just abortion. It's, it's, they want more rights for abortion of those they don't simply need. More and more articles coming out from, again, the henchmen. They all work for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the planned society. For the new communitarianism, where you'll be born only if they need you in that community. And you won't live too long either. Uh, that's part of the agenda. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. This is Alan Water, and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system. Uh, that really is the big octopus that stretches across the whole world, so many different tentacles into every aspect of of life, every area of life. And they talked again back in the early 1900s of central banks, which they accomplished. And they also talked about uh, eventually another overseeing bank, uh, which became the International Monetary Fund, in fact, through the United Nations, and a World Bank. The goal eventually was to have part one and part two. The Bretton Woods Agreement, part one, part two is supposed to come in now. There's articles within uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs on websites where they're talking about um, having to stall it a little bit. The, The public quite haven't swallowed that. But then they go through in the same article and talk about going ahead anyway and bring in uh, an oversight with the IMF over every country's national expenses. In other words, their budgets. They want control of every country's budget and your spending, which was the intention when they first set up the Bretton Woods Agreement. And they also talked about going into, uh, again, the destruction of the family unit, something utterly necessary to bring in a planned society. George Orwell talked about it too. Uh, he was at world meetings. He was he was groomed, actually, to, to take part uh, as a, an elite member of the crew from the private school. He was recruited at university in Cambridge, as many were, in fact. And uh, he turned against them eventually and let the cat out the bag. You find that he corresponded constantly with Aldo Huxley in the 1930s. Uh, talking about what kind of system the elite were going to bring in. And now they knew all the stuff. They knew all the big players involved. They knew all the richest people on the planet who ran the foundations, that really ran the governments of the world and the banks. And they talked about would it really be totalitarian, as George Orwell predicted, or would it be a gradual uh, implementation through basically conditioning children generation by generation to have sex at a very, very early age. Now, that, that was uh, Huxley's idea. Uh, he didn't get it make up himself. He got the idea from Lord Bertrand Russell, who also worked in these big think, uh, think tanks, global think tanks. And Lord Bertrand Russell had experimental schools where he was allowed to do things that were not allowed to do anywhere else. He would have been hung outside of these protected schools that were given royal charters to experiment on children. 
and where they encouraged pre-pubertal sex. So the idea being, if you could really uh, overdose children with sexual images and, and thinking, uh, if you could get them really interested in getting them into pre-pubertal sex, then they would be uh, going from partner to partner very, very quickly, and they would never bond with anyone. The idea being they want to bring in a brave new world, the Huxley-type scenario, where no one would have to bond with anyone, sex was easily available, any kind of sex would too, and uh, that was taken up also by Huxley's brother, Julian Huxley, who was the first CEO of UNESCO that brings in this agenda for and the curriculums for education across the world, especially sexual education. Scientifically designed, in other words, scientifically designed uh, systems, and they knew too that it would take from maybe the 1920s uh, they tried the Roaring Twenties. We tend to always forget the Roaring Twenties. The miniskirt came in then, the Charlton, the dance, uh, the booze cans were made very, very popular because they were naughty. And the youngsters um, went in there and, and sex uh, was, was really promoted through the jazz and all the rest of it. These are the techniques they use because Plato says you always use the culture industry. That's music, drama, all the rest of it, fashion too. Always. Same techniques. But the fallout back then was overwhelming. Uh, venereal disease was rampant because there were no antibiotics. Uh, the children uh, out of wedlock were, were, were getting thrown into um, uh, boys' homes and girls' homes. Or the, the backstreet abortionists were just having a flourishing trade. And so it, it, got, it fell into disrepute. It didn't, didn't work. So they went back to the drawing board and they used the, the people's tax money uh, masses of tax money to go into scientific research to find ways uh, to stop people con- conceiving children, to stop women conceiving. And that's why they came up with the pill. It was a must-be. And millions and millions of dollars were spent on this. Uh, regardless of what else was needed in society, that was a must-be. And then when they got the pill, they reintroduced the music again, the miniskirt, uh, the, the, the aren't we naughty scenarios, and, and started off um, the, the hippie generation, as they called it. And at the same time, they were pushing the social changes, social changes, socialism really is what they were talking about, getting government that cared. Now, government that cares has so many different branches that end up dominating your life. That's the real intention. That's how you bring in socialism. Uh, it starts off by something that seems kind of reasonable. Well, for paying all these taxes, we should be getting the services back, shouldn't we? And that makes sense. But, of course, what it ends up being is you have all these agencies, government agencies, that end up dominating and domineering and guiding your lives. That's what socialism is. And they wanted that kind of system at the top. It says they wanted that, decided to have that back in the 1920s to control the masses, and that's what they call them, the the masses. We came out of an industrial era, and that's when the term the masses first was used. All those people, you know, all those folk, the the majority of them. So through the whole uh, process of uh, sexual uh, promiscuity and uh, the promotion from the top down, just go and do it, just have fun, Uh, all the movies got in on the acts, and uh, they were telling you, don't worry about things. The, the hospitals will take care of unwanted pregnancies, stuff like that. And then a few generations later, the next move goes on. And actually, there's still the same move aimed at very young children because they don't want the next generation to have families at all back after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about the step-by-step process where men start off projects knowing they'll never live to see the end of it, but also knowing that those in the same foundations will carry it on until they come to be. Something that the rest of us don't have the luxury to do. We can't plan things that we can't finish in our lifetime. But those who set up these big foundations are intergenerational, intergenerational, maybe a hundred years, two hundred years to bring off the big plan. And they have all the funding in the world to do it. And they all work with the other foundations. They all have the special parts to control societies. Now, I was just talking about the sexual aspect of things. Because if you can control the sexual aspect of things to break up the family unit, and Julian Huxley said it himself, he said, if we can make the children very promiscuous, uh, they won't bond uh, for a partner for life. Part of the idea being that men will never fight for anything if they don't have a family. All they'll fight for is for, for the big boss, the government boss, that gives them some respect by giving them clean clothes for the first time in their lives often and putting them off into some battlefield with a gun. Uh, that's how they get some respects. And uh, outside of that, there's not, they're, they're nobodies back home, you see. Nobodies. They're in the rat race competing for everything. So we're all well understood. It's all psychology. But uh, they also knew, too, that uh, children who would start off with pre-pubertal sex would uh, be very, very um, unlikely to ever mate and bond with one person for life. There was no need to. And that's why in the 70s, even even, even the 60s in Britain, the governments that were really promoting um, that started to push for single uh, family units. That was mother and daughter, son. Basically, that's what they're pushing for. Lots of countries followed suit, and that again came through uh, UNESCO and the United Nations. Here's an article here that just verifies what I'm talking about here without going into the reality behind it, because we get handouts to newspapers in countries like Canada. This one is about Toronto. It says Ontario Premier. A Premier is basically the governor of a province in Canada or a state. Uh, Premier Dalton McGuinty, that some call an old goat, uh, defended the province's new sex education curriculum Tuesday, saying children as young as eight years old should be learning about a variety of issues, including gender identity and sexual orientation. So they, they start off with one thing and they push the envelope and push the envelope. You see, they can do that because the parents have grown up uh, in a more debauched society than their parents it's intergenerational, and we all get kind of debauched and degraded. Down we go until, well, what's really bad about that? We did this and so on. That's how we accept things. So now they want to start getting really into picking gender roles and um, sexual orientation at a very early age. And, of course, they also have advisors in schools, and, and uh, uh, they'll, they'll probably say to them, too, well, you know, how would you know you're not this way if you haven't tried it? Maybe you're inhibited, you know. If you want to talk to specialists, we can get specialists. Maybe you're inhibited. Maybe that's why you haven't tried this. And I'm not kidding. This stuff goes on. Because they were a completely dysfunctional society regarding mating for life. 
And anything outside of that really is dysfunctional, ends up being dysfunctional. A society cannot stand like that. But that's, they don't want it to stand. They're bringing in, remember, a brave new world. And this is what uh, he said, his handout here, the, McGinty's handout. It says, I think I speak with an understanding of the information available to children today. They're going to get this information. We can provide it in a format and in a venue in which we have some control, or they can get it entirely on their own and be informed by potentially uninformed sources like their friends at school. The revised curriculum, which will be implemented in Ontario schools beginning in the fall, will see grade 3 students being taught about gender identity and sexual orientation. This is the first time that I thought sexual orientation was what will you stand when you're in the washroom, you know, for the guys. Uh, it's very important to know where to, you know what. But anyway, this is it's obviously changed since my day. And it says here, um, this is the first time this topic has been specified in the sex education curriculum. And it's, it's a big lie, too, because I've discussed worse things than this before. Students in grade 6 will learn about masturbation and wet dreams, while those in grade 7 will be taught about oral and anal sex. You see, there's no parental input, and and the parents won't go into it because, you see, they've been glued to the television for the last 20 years themselves, uh, watching what basically is soft porn through all the different things that's just standard fear on television. They don't See, they've already been degraded themselves, you know. So their children are going to get taught about this. And you, you know, when they teach them, it's really to push it and promote it. And it's all over much music. Every, every innuendo you get there and every, the so-called dancing there is just something else completely. It's all sex, sex, sex. It's through their teen magazines. It's through everything you look at. The curriculum was developed after more than a year of consultations between academics, students, educators, and ministries from other provinces. For example, children learn about puberty, including menstruation in grade four in schools in BC and Alberta. And then it goes on about uh, other people complaining and so on. But they don't go into the reality behind it either. They never do. Uh, They just give us nonsense and lies. Well, if you go into this other site here, it's from the Star, the Toronto Star, I guess, dot com. Um, this is from, uh, uh, this is the, yeah, this is from the 10th or the 4th, uh, I think it was. Anyways, Catholic schools must, te- must teach new sex education, McGinty. And I'll put, remember, I'll put these links up on my site at the end of the show. And it's also in the Canadian press. It says here, Ontario's Catholic schools can't opt out of a revamped sex education curriculum, even if it goes against their religious beliefs to teach children about masturbation and homosexuality, Premier McGinty said Wednesday. Civil conservatives and religious groups claim the the changes coming this fall will corrupt young minds with explicit topics like anal sex. But Ontario's Catholic Premier made it clear that all public schools must must teach the lessons that will start as early as age six. By the way, I hope you realize, too, that part of the big curriculum, according to the Huxleys and others, was to get intergenerational sex on the go, uh, eradicate the, the, even the term paedophilia. That, that's it's to normalize it. I hope you realize it's all part of that, too. 
I don't know if you know the international census bureaus. All your uh, countries have census bureaus that you think are protecting you from too much people going overboard, pushing the envelope too far. No, the opposite is true. They're there to take the pulse of the public and see if they're ready for the envelope being pushed a little bit more. And they said at the international meeting in 2000 that uh, they, now that they'd won the rights for homosexuality on television and different things, they would now push for the rights of intergenerational sex and bestiality. I'm not kidding, folks. And professors attended uh, these meet- this international meeting. It says if people, if parents are uncomfortable with certain aspects of this new curriculum, they can and they're free to withdraw their children from the classroom. The first changes to Ontario's curriculum in a dozen years will see students learning about masturbation in grade 6 and oral and anal sex at the age 12. So they keep giving you different numbers and, and, and dates here. Opponents who are mounting a campaign to get rid of the program have described the curriculum as evil and boarding on criminal. They say teaching eight-year-olds about gender identity and same-sex marriage is inappropriate and should be left up to parties. Well, that's a fact, too. If you've got a social agenda on the go here, or a political agenda, what's it doing in, in the schoolroom? And pressure groups are under a political agenda and a social agenda. That should not be in, this, in the classroom at all. And then if we go into another article here, I'll put this link up as well from Toronto. It says uh, the same thing, condoms, masturbation, abortion, content provoke controversy. And here it says in UNESCO, as United Nations Educational and Scientific Cooperation, sets education draft guidelines. So here's the only one that's telling you where it comes from that all the the countries sign on board with. And uh, it says here, uh, on Monday, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. Remember, we don't elect. You understand the United Nations is an unelected body, is a non-democratic body. But it works for the Royal Institute for International Affairs that set it up with the same mandate. So it's due to release a new draft proposal on its controversial inter- international sexuality education guidelines. UNESCO pulled an earlier draft of the guidelines from its website on June after they sparked uh, international controversy and criticism from conservative and religious groups. Conservative commentators in America have been particularly vocal about the draft's suggestion of discussion about masturbation for children as young as five years old. That's what UNESCO actually wanted, five years of age. The guidelines are the result of a two-year effort in support of UNESCO's HIV and AIDS prevention strategy. They're utter liars, these people. Utter liars. But so, we'll, we'll listen to them lie about. This is an attempt to promote sex education as a demonstrably effective program for young people and to promote cooperation and sharing of experiences among key stakeholders. I wonder it's all the pervs that watch all the, all the pedophile sites on the Internet. And I'm not kidding about that, folks, either. It's hard enough to get a small American community to agree on any kind of such education standards. They've gone about and so on, so on, so on. And then they go on to say from UNESCO that they've shown that it actually reduces uh, sexual interaction with children, which is an utter lies. The opposite is true, and they well know it, but they are born liars. They work there. You don't tell people. See, they herd their children. We're all children, according to the United Nations. You can't tell the truth to the children. You've got to lie to them. You know, They never go along with it. 
since conservatives in America and around the world presumably still convinced that abstinence-only education programs are the only way to go on these fronts, are irked by the guidelines' emphasis on condom use and upset over frank discussion of masturbation, homosexuality and abortion proposed in the guidelines. UNESCO's Sexuality Education Guidelines coordinated with other UN agencies, including UNICEF and the World Health Organization, or oh, those winners, the guys who want to kill us all off, you know, through inoculations, are intended to help UN member countries improve sex education and sexual health, particularly among young people and in the developing world, to reduce illegal abortions and to reduce the spread of sexually transmitted infection, including HIV and AIDS, which, of course, there's nothing else. As I say, Bertrand Russell had the school back in the 20s, and they found out that it certainly did obsess the children with sexual thoughts and thinking, uh, leading to sexual action. So they're, they're, they're just lying away there, because that is the, that is the agenda. You've got to see um, the movie Brave New World. You've got to see it. Remember, it was written in 1933, and Huxley said that they could bring in any kind of society that the masters wanted, using scientific techniques, and they have been doing it, folks. They have been doing it. We're run by these very clever psychopaths who see us as a bunch of people in a doll's house and they're looking above you and they're just playing with the dollhouse. And unfortunately, the systems they use on the people or the dolls inside the house, they do work. They do work. Absolutely, they do work. But we're dealing with liars and psychopaths near the top, you see. And, as I say, destroying cultures was so important to them, absolute destruction of all cultures, to bring in a new culture run by government. That's the whole idea of it. Communitarianism is all part of that. You've got to go in and understand what communitarianism is. It's the planned societies where everyone will be born only if they need you to work in their system. If they don't need you in their system, you will simply be terminated before you're born. Maybe even after it, because I've even discussed killing off children up to the age of two. I'm not kidding about that either. That's been out in the mainstream media. That's the world we're going into. We're actually in it. And when we accept mass killings, we accept bodies being plasticized and hung on wires and art shows, uh, we're desensitized by these terrible shows like uh, um, CIS or whatever they put on television where everybody's just a hunk of meat anyway. And, uh, and now they're going for, not just for uh, killing, uh, preventing the youth from being born, now they're going to shorten the lifespan. They call it the, we've got to up the death rates. But why do you think you're dropping dead with all these new cancers all over the place? And they're always stumped when they find some new cancer disease in their inoculations. But the big boys, the big experts are always stumped. That, My God, we had it there for 20 years and we never knew. They've just found it out. Well, they didn't find it. Other companies will find it out for them. And you scratch your head thinking it's all by coincidence. It's all chance. Who would do that? That's what you say. It's the first thing out your mouth. Oh, who would do that? Because you wouldn't do that, you see. Well, probably you wouldn't send uh, your own families off to fight in Afghanistan either or anywhere else. 
But they do. They plan wars in advance, and when they plan a war on society, they mean it, and they put it into being through various means, as we become more and more dehumanized. But mind you, the more dehumanized we become, the less we complain about anything. But it's too too busy having a good time uh, playing ourselves. Adult children, children who never grow up at all, and government will advise us in every aspect of whatever we must do. You know, uh, uh, someone wrote to me, and his daughter had been... Uh, basically involved with with social workers her, her whole life because uh, I, guess, I guess the mother had the, the child and it was a dysfunctional family or whatever or the daughter had problems but she actually as she was growing up right into adulthood would call on social work departments uh, as they're her friends but any decision came up she'd ask them what she should do that's what government wants folks that's what it's all set up to eventually be You'll be an eternal child just playing along and playing along, watching all your stuff on television and going out to the booze cans and dancing away and sleeping around. But when it comes to anything important, you have to go to your friends at the social work departments to advise you what to do. Big Brother will tell you what to do. That's a system they're pretty well brought in. And the corrupt, evil characters that run us, like Al Gore, they're in the papers all the time. People believe their image because it's such incredible publicity behind them, massive publicity campaigns uh, to, to show them as so squeaky clean. And the guy was brought up, remember, by one of the top communists in the world. Communists are, the top communists are multi-billionaires and multi-trillionaires. You see, they created communism for this kind of system. It's the easiest way to, to own the world in a socialist system. And you boys at the top are the fascists. Different set of rules for you, you see. I'll be back with more, and I'll mention Al Gore after the following break. And this is Cutting Through the Matrix Just following on with Al Gore The allegory, I call him The protege of Armand Hammer Do your homework on Armand Hammer And you'll have quite the eye-opener too Another globalist who had uh, homes Both in the US and in the Kremlin uh, There was no real Cold War as you think It was all part of to bring it together To the present system today Where you have a fascist elite running the world and the commutarian communist-style bureaucracy running us all below. And we do what we're told. That's what they're bringing in, folks. So Al Gore, the guy that's uh, uh, part of the big global warming scam, if it was freezing scam, he, he wouldn't care what kind of scam it was. He'd, he'd get in on it anyway. That's his job. And it, it says here from this article from The Independent, Al Gore, the style, self-styled squeakiest clean and deepest green politician in American history, has some explaining to do this weekend. His environmental organization has taken money to raise awareness about the need for clean water from a contro- uh, controversial chemicals company. That's nothing, really. He's taking it from, he would take it from the local sewage supply. I mean, whatever. Dow Chemicals, the U.S. firm, is sponsoring Life Earth events in 150 cities today. 
The event aims to raise money for clean water programs. Research by environmental organizations has found dangerous levels of high toxic chemicals in rivers, lakes and other water supplies close to several other factories owned by Dow and its subsidiaries in countries including the United States, Brazil and South Africa. Dow's factories at its global headquarters in Midland, Michigan, have been accused of contaminating the region, including the Titabawasi River floodplains with high levels of dioxin, one of the dirty dozen most dangerous chemicals. In 2007, the highest levels of dioxin contamination ever measured by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency was found in the Michigan Saginaw River. Residents are advised to avoid contact with river sediment and do not eat locally caught fish. So Al Gore doesn't mind taking cash from... See, they're all in it together, these characters, eh? I've got a list here of all the big boys that attended the Copenhagen meeting, and every top one of these companies, uh, or every top company, was had representatives there. They're, they're, they're leading the environmental movement, and that's what the yo-yos below don't understand. There's lots of yo-yos, you know. Lots and lots of them. And they use the fringe groups as well, the ones who would stand up for whatever fringe thing appeals to them, to, to get an army together, to make big numbers seem to, to count. Uh, but they're run by these characters at the top, the clever psychopaths at the top. And they'll never figure that out, you know, never ever figure it out. But Al Gore, as I say, interesting, groomed by Armand Hammer. And uh, he's, he's sailed through life, this guy. Sailed through life. Uh, he's, he, he claims he's the inventor of the Internet, a big lie, of course, but that's nothing new. He has a big mouth. And um, he's claimed so many amazing things for himself that it's astonishing. He, he should really be laughed off. But no, as long as the press keeps uh, giving him all these different awards and stunning him up on stages and he gets accolades from all the, the Hollywood people and all the rest of it, he will continue doing his clown act as we all end up suffering and having no rights whatsoever because, you see, we are the enemy of the environment of dear old Mother Earth, according to guys like Gore. And uh, if you see where his money was sunk, you get another shock. Maybe, I I don't really know if anybody really gets shocked these days when you really hear about anything. Uh, I think we're so jaded personally and bombarded with useless data Trivia data, and amongst important data, most folk cannot discern uh, what data to take and run with. That's how I see it. And, and that's what they said at DARPA, too, from their own. They'd overloaded so much we couldn't tell the difference or we couldn't process the data. Don't give up, though. It's not up to uh, mass movements. It's up to the individual thinkers out there who can communicate to others. From myself and Hamish in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's goal with you. 